0: Hello and welcome to the PFL Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. back-to-back podcast day. Got a little 30-minute USFL review, but you know what, people? It's a four-team league. We can talk about that and still talk about good old NFL football and fantasy as well. Joining me today to accomplish that very goal, none other than PFL's finest, the legend himself, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, what's up, man?
1: Oh, dude. Good to be back on. Uh... Had interesting last week, but yeah, ready to. And look at me. Like, you can see I've got, I've changed my monitor stack. Like, if I'm looking up like this and people are like, what the hell is Dwayne doing? It's like, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm moving stuff around. Sorry. I haven't figured out how I want to do my camera and everything. I got a new computer, but yeah, dude, it's, uh, it's, it's always a good day to be talking about football. We're, we're getting close to NFL draft. Like, it's, it's, it's about to be here, man. It's going to be here.
0: Dwayne, you went vertical with the computer setup, something I did many years ago. I like being able to go top down. It feels natural to me when I'm going left to right. I know that's how we read and everything, but I don't know, man. I feel like that's going to, you know, we'll get some neck issues. We could be out of the fantasy analyst game five years early, man, if we're going left to right.
1: Yeah, potentially. Um, I'm, I'm still trying to decide, like, do I like it this way, you know, or not? It does feel weird, like, kind of looking up. Like, you can see me looking up right now. Like, I've got my one screen here and my one here. <laughs> Um, so I'm still getting used to it. I'm sure people that are watching
0: this on YouTube, they're going to be like, what in the hell, like, where's Dwayne looking? Like there's a UFO, there's a UFO above me like that. I keep looking at Had a great conversation on the uh, second to last edition of this podcast with Eric Froton. That was recorded on Friday. We went over some of his thoughts on the upcoming RB class. We'll basically be extending that to today's episode with Dwayne, where we have Dwayne's running back tiers up on PFF.com for your viewing, but we're going to talk them through as well. Have some nice visuals out there for our always appreciated YouTube fam. Dwayne. Some great stuff. We've talked about these guys a little bit, but you have finally reached the point where we have them tiered. We have them ready to go. It's a great day to be great.
1: Yeah. And I had taken my first stab at this like back in late February. Um, But like now the expected draft capital stuff is all really starting to tighten up. We've gotten all the pro day information. And so for backs, we actually do care, you know, more than we do for receivers about some of the, you know, some of those data points. So yeah, just taking the chance to really update it. Um, and bring in all the new information, and just you know, we'll we'll continue to tweak it over the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I'm interested. I know you've also been looking at some stuff around pass catching ability and some different things like that. So hopefully, we can weave all that together. Um, but yeah, as far as man, these rookies, it's a uh, it's an interesting class because you know we've talked about this you know a few times already. Um, it's just not it's not as heavy you know as some of the classes we've had in the past. But there are like there 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 are a handful of guys. Um, that we that we do like. There's definitely, there's a 1A, and then there's kind of a, the next group. And like the third group is really like, hey, we have a bunch of guys that, they didn't really get a lot of production in college, but we know that they're probably going to get NFL draft capital. And then you got another group below that's like, well, they were really productive in college, but we don't know if they're going to have NFL draft capital. And then you have a group below that was like, eh, not really that productive in college but wow uh they did some of the stuff that people want to see as far as being explosive you know the the career uh explosive rush rates the 40 yard dash times the broad jumps you know all those sort of things so it's kind of it's interesting it's like it's like pretty much with with any time we talk about fantasy football right the first group you're really looking for the players that you think have all of it and then you start working your way down into okay these players may have these traits, but they don't have these others. And so I think it's pretty defined though this year. Like this is honestly, even though it's not as deep of a class, like it's the most clear it's the most clear that I can remember my tear breaks, feeling like really strongly about where I have those. Now, once we have the real draft capital, obviously, you know, that will change some.
0: That was kind of one of the interesting parts when I was going through uh, today. I, w- I was looking at article on PFF.com, the receiving ability of all these running backs, because at the end of the day, we are looking for the diamond the rough, that running back that can work across all three downs, run the ball, catch the ball and pass block well enough to get that workhorse role at the next level. And I was just going through based on PFF's ranking of them now, Mike Renner. PFF draft draft expert. He's watched these guys far more than I have. He's very good at his job. He knows what he's doing. So I'm not disputing where he's saying these guys should or will be drafted. But I was surprised to see after kind of some guys like James Cook, uh, you know, um, Let's see, Jerome Ford. You had a couple guys that just seemed like more one-dimensional backs, Dwayne, but then you get to some of the later backs. Your Tyler Algier, excuse me if I'm messing up Mm -hmm. that uh, name. You had him. Looks like he can work across all three downs, maybe just not quite as explosive as we would prefer. We have our Kyron Williams, who, you know, Doesn't seem to have the three-down size, but proved that he can run, proved he can catch. Maybe it just takes the right team to get him that. There does seem... uh, Rashad White was another one that just seemed a little bit lower in his ranks, but does have that theoretical three-down ability we're looking for. What we need to figure out, Dwayne, to your point, where are they going with the draft capital? Because that's going to rule a lot. But, I mean... That's, is that just a big thing? Because I guess my, my, my big point out of this whole ramble is just that there seems to be a more than a handful of these running backs that could be producers at the next level. We need to try to zero on the guys that will get the actual opportunity to do so.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And so that's a big part of, so the way this is set up now, I see you're sharing it so everybody can see it. um, You know, if you're on YouTube, but even if you're just listening, you know, on a pod, like I've got it tiered into six different tiers. Um, and so one of the big components is really expected draft capital, right? And on the on the chart, we've got it listed as expected draft pick. Um, and we know that's got a huge correlation to future fantasy success because typically the more that you have invested in a player, the more chances they get. Basically, you get more chances to fail, Ian. You know, if yeah. somebody, you know, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's like, uh, I think it's common, you know, nature, like that we do things like that. If you spend a lot of money on something in your life, you're more likely to probably like give it a few chances before you're just like, screw it, like I'm done yeah. with this thing. Um, so it's really the same thing with NFL running backs, So the number one driver, as far as the way the model works, is really based on expected draft capital. And then the next component really ties into career yards uh, per game. So that does tie in receiving. That's really where the receiving stuff comes in. I used to do all the receiving separate. Like you can, I, I've looked at receiving yards per game. I've looked at target shares, all those sort of things. But I'm trying to like, and all the stuff that I'm working on, I'm trying to simplify it. Cause sometimes I think you start double counting things. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're counting, you know, uh, for example, like vertical and broad jump, like, you know, those two things can be very similar in what they may yeah. indicate. Um, and you're looking at 40 time and broad jump. Like a lot of times we can use broad jump and vertical to actually predict what the 40 time is going to be. So for running, same, for
0: running backs, I mean, we talked about this with Kevin Cole's findings. I mean, the jumps are far more predictive than the 40 yard dash anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so using all of those findings, like from our peers and the other folks here at PFF, and really starting to weight these things out. So then I also look at just their best yardage season, period. Um, Then I look at their best touchdown percentage season period and then I look at some really cool new stuff that we haven't really had access to since you know 2014 is as far back as we can go so really you know we can only we can only look at running backs that have come out since 2017 so we would have a full data set on their college career but 2017 through 2020 I really looked at uh, the career explosive the career explosive rush rate, which is carries of ten yards or more, and then we all know the missed tackles forced or the avoided tackles per attempt, um, and then the the final thing really just being bringing all those things together, you know, and weighting them, you know, based on which ones are the most correlated to fantasy points over the first three years of a player's career. And again, to your point, just a second ago, like the draft capital is the hugest thing. So that's one of the biggest changes in the model is really just input, you know, just inputting the new draft capital where we're at because the last time I'd done it was February, but we can kind of kick it off. Like, and you jump in here too, but like tier one, you know, Brees Hall, I still have in a tier of his own. And, And it goes back to what you just talked about. Who do we think has the best chance of really being like this true every down you know, workhorse, if you will. Um, we can talk about landing spots a little bit if you want. I think if things get. I know you did a you know a bunch of uh, work over the previous weeks looking at really the availability of potential carries, targets, things like that on each team. Um, and I know right now we've both talked about this. Like, there's not there's questions pretty much across the league with landing spots. I think right. there are a few. Um, Examples that would be great. Like if Brees Hall landed in Buffalo, people would probably get, like, you know, as you would say, uh, Ian, borderline erotic. (laughs) You know, like people would probably go nuts. But there's there's questions everywhere. Like, Brees Hall's been linked to Tampa Bay. Like, if Brees Hall lands in Tampa Bay, like, I mean, really, how excited are we going to be about him this year? Dynasty, yes, he would still be the number one back overall. But I think Hall is the one for me, Ian, that really does check, you know, all the boxes. You know, he's got the, you know, age is obviously in the model and weight are in the model too. I didn't mention those, but you know, twenty one point three, so he's going to be the second youngest back in the class of of the of the top guys that I have tiered. Um, he's got the best draft capital expected, forty two. He's over the weight, two ten. Um, he's at two seventeen. His career yards per game, one twenty nine. That's the second best in the class. Y- uh, his best yardage season. 37 percent. You know, that's top six in the class. Uh, Best touchdown rate, 50 percent. Clear uh, his career explosive rush rate, um, 14 percent, a little bit lower than what we want to see with some of these other guys. And, you know, I'm not a film expert, just like what you're talking about. I'm not Mike Renner. I'm not, you know, Matt Walden. I'm not some of these other guys. You know, Jay Moyer, even uh, Jetpack Galileo. Like, man, total respect for all their games. But I do watch. Yeah, I do watch all these players. Um, in fact, last night I spent the last hour and a half just, you know, as I was falling asleep in my bed, like just had my iPad out, had up, you know, our tool, the backend tool over at PFF yeah. ultimate. <laughs> and I was just watching Brees Hall, every inside zone carry, then Kenneth Walker, every inside zone carry. Then Isaiah. Be fella. careful,
0: Dwayne. I think Mrs. McFarland's going to throw that laptop out the window. If you keep that shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I,
1: I waited until like, she had already passed out <laughs> okay. to turn it on and start going. Um, uh, so yeah. Um, but for sure it when when i watch these players like man Um, Hall definitely is the one that checks all the the boxes as far as the metrics go. But like my tier two, I've got Kenneth Walker and Isaiah Spiller. And Um, honestly, real real
0: quick, real quick on on Hall. I think your point about him just checking all those boxes is perfect, man. Like Mike Renner, as we're saying, you know, his name as many times as possible on his podcast, said that Brees Hall would have been his RB1 in last year's class over Najee, over Javante Williams and those guys. Like there really is no clear hole in his game except maybe pass blocking. That was the only concern I really saw with Brees Hall, Our official PFF grade on him was better than Kenneth Walker. We'll talk about that concern with him in a minute. But 39.6 versus 34.2 only allowed one less pressure on just five more total reps. So we talked about some of these landing spots and just how there really aren't as many as you might think. Overall, only the Ravens which we can throw out because Dobbins and Gus are going to be back. So throwing them out, Chiefs, Giants, Cardinals, the only teams with at least 50% of their 2021 targets unaccounted for. Giants and Chiefs um, are also, yeah, Ravens, Giants, Chiefs, mark three of the league's other four teams with more than 50%. So there are some teams like the Bills, like the Jets, but man, even on those teams, man, several of those running back teams, I think we would have really looked at in February based on how things have gone out where they've not It's not that they've brought in the, like, additional running backs. that They brought in guys that have already been there, accounted for those carries. And, like, it's not a given that the Jets need to replace Michael Carter or Tevin Coleman and stuff. So, a lot of them, the same, you know, issues they had the year before that didn't necessarily lead them to take on an extra running back in the first place. So, for me, with Hall, the question is, can we get that elusive every down three down roll. Cause I think he can handle it for the most part, but it's going to be concerning Dwayne. If he lands somewhere where there's a clear cut, you know, third down incumbent scat back your Naeem Hines or JD McKissick of the world, because that pass protection could be the one red flag in this game that people aren't talking about enough.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. Cause like, I actually did some research on this really only 20% of the time um, that running backs are out on the field in the NFL, are they asked to pass block yep. the other, the other 80%, they're actually, they're in the route, you know? So, but that doesn't mean that a coach won't keep them off the field for it. Right. That's the so yeah. yeah, that's the problem. And so I do think that there are certain coaching staffs that have figured that out and they're like, fine, well we don't really care because we're going to put them in a route anyway. And on those teams, you'll see them have their backs on the
0: route
1: 90% of the time. Right? Cause if your quarterback
0: be- can, if your quarterback can process everything fast enough, hopefully he can beat that blitz by throwing it to the guy that was supposed to be covered. Well, yeah, and it also
1: comes down to talent. Like maybe your guy you have in the backfield is a better route runner than your tight end. You could keep a tight end in the block, right, in that, in that case. So I think there's there's a lot of different factors that go into it. But I think the, the biggest takeaway for Brees Hall is, you know, talent on the talent level, he really can do it all. He's probably going to grow into a player that will be – I think he's the guy we probably feel the best about being an every down back. I think yeah. the, the, the player I feel the next best about being an every down back – Um, is Isaiah Spiller, who is in tier two, but, you know, his testing is probably pushing him down the draft board. Now, today, our own um, Doug Kye had, you know, put out an article where he had, you know, sat down with several NFL executives, you know, kind of working the phones, doing his thing, you know, uh, all the contacts that we don't have, you know, that he has. And actually, there were some, you know, rumors that Isaiah Spiller, man, could still be an early second round pick. You know, there was even one, you know, NFL person that said, wouldn't be surprised if he went the end of the first. Like, so if that happens for Spiller, like if he landed in Buffalo, I would feel, you know, not quite as good as Brees Hall because he doesn't check every single box um, because of the 40 yard dash, because of the broad jump. At the end of the day, Ian, like once the draft capital is there, we've seen Isaiah Spiller be an every down player. And so we I, I know that he can do it. Is he as explosive, you know, as, you know, Brees Hall? Actually, if you want to ask, 16% career explosive rush rate versus 14% for Brees Hall, despite the fact that Brees Hall ran a 4.3940, Isaiah Spiller ran a 4.63, and then you talked about the jumps earlier, did not do well, 114 and 33. Look at their 10-yard splits, 1.59 for Spiller, 1.54 for Brees Hall. But I still believe that if Spiller, you know, all it takes, in is one team to believe in Spiller. And Buffalo is one of the teams that have actually been connected to him. He's had a visit after the combine with Buffalo. So I, I think Spiller's a name to still keep an eye on. Like if he were to get drafted, say, you know, right after Reese Hall but land in a better spot, like I think there's a chance that everybody changes their mind on Spiller. It's funny. Spiller was a someone everybody loved. And as soon as as soon as the combine happened, like I think it's gone too far, in my opinion. Like I've seen people push Spiller just too far down their boards. I still think he belongs in the second tier. What are your
0: thoughts? He's at a minimum, like let's say he does fall in the draft and he goes third, fourth round or something like that, that we're not necessarily expecting or hoping for. But if he can get a backup job, even in the NFL and the starter goes down, he has everything that we've seen to be a three down back. Now, maybe it's not as explosive as we would like, but I believe the comp in our draft guide was for. I don't think it was for Devontae Booker. One of these guys had Devontae Booker comp that I thought kind of fit Spiller to an extent in terms of like, I understand Devontae Booker isn't everyone's like favorite running back that we're trying to target in Fantasyland, but he can play across all three downs even if he doesn't have that home run hitting deep speed take it to the house at any second type of ability so Spiller stuck out to me PFF not quite as high not quite as high as him but in terms of what he's been able to do man aside for some slight pass blocking concerns which you know spoiler a lot of these guys have they are college running backs after all Spiller did stick out as someone that depending on the spot could actually make do with a lot of this work if we can check and the the youngest
1: guy man 21 he and Hall are essentially the same you know Hall will be 21.3 years old when the season starts Spiller 21.1 so typically when we see players from these programs like this that are really productive at a young age and they're already coming out, which, you know, basically means their agents are told, right. You're going to do well in the NFL draft. You know, that's what, that's where part of that feedback loop comes from. And they decide to go ahead and come out. Like it's typically a good thing. And so for me, like I, I just think the combine stuff, I get it. It's, it's, it's definitely not a positive. I would rather him done well in all of these different tests, but I think at the end of the day, you still have four or five teams that believe in him and he ends up having good draft capital. And we know that he is a, he's a young back coming out. He's done, you know, he's performed well. He's one of only, you know, two or three guys in the class. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah. So he was one of the only guys. So as a freshman, he averaged 103 yards uh, per game Um you know, and so he was one of only two other guys in the in the class that did that. So I mean, you know, he's been doing this since a very early age. This and, isn't and something the, that just yeah, go ahead.
0: And the one note I saw in the PFF draft guide about Spiller in particular was that if you look at his raw numbers over his three seasons at Texas a m because he was their starting running back all three years he was there, the raw numbers don't change much, but you did see him actually start racking up those missed tackles at a much higher rate in his last season there. So it seems like he's improving. seems like he could be extending. Hey, man, if he's the third running back off the board, I think we're going to see a lot of people all of a sudden changing their opinion on those athletic measurables. But yeah, he, he
1: has a chance to be the second off the board still. I think he's being completely written off by, you know, how we get in our own echo chamber on Twitter, you know, the fantasy universe and the NFL has different ideas. Sometimes. And I think this could be one of those situations that could, that could surprise us. Um, the other guy in this tier is Kenneth Walker. So, I, you know, the big challenge with Walker really is, you know, you hit on it right off the bat. Like, can he be an every down back? And so here, here are my thoughts on that. Yes. Overall, we would much rather have a back that's done it before. Because that gives us that historical performance. You know, it's much more likely that they can carry that through. An NFL team has seen it on film. They want to deploy the player in that way. But what I will say is we've seen guys um, come out and like A.J. Dillon. Nobody thought A.J. Dillon could do anything about around catching passes, right? And he came out this last year and he did fine. What I would say about Walker is this. like He's not going to be you know, this huge part of a passing game. He's not going to be a guy working down the field, doing some of the stuff that Spiller and Brees Hall can do. However, if he lands in the right offense, and it's an offense that, say, isn't loaded with three or four receivers, like, they can still scheme up a lot of things for guys behind the line of scrimmage. Like, so most backs in... You know this, you're a college linebacker. Most backs can catch a swing pass. Like where the real talent comes, you're running wheel routes, bullet routes, angle routes. You're having to create separation, you're having to run more technical routes, a lot more going on with the fluidity of your hips, all these other different things that are going on, awareness of zone coverages, things like that. Whereas if you're just running a swing pass or you're you're you know, you're checking, you know, to see if there's a blitz, and then you're just kind of floating under the flat to be the third or fourth read on a play, like most backs can handle that. So a lot of times where some of these targets come from for the backs that aren't you know, the true difference makers like a Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. Um, I would even argue that Aaron Jones probably is right there on the verge of being in that same group. Those guys, you know, you design things to get them in your passing game no matter what. Like, and it's pretty sticky year over year. But then you have other guys that, you know, if all of a sudden you find yourself on a team that you've got, you know, an OK wide receiver one, a decent wide receiver two, no tight end. Like then all of a sudden, a bat, we've seen guys like Mark Ingram do this in the past. Yeah. You know, where all of a sudden, remember, Mark Ingram could never catch passes until he did.
0: Until he and I, I, I don't, I, I don't
1: want to get into the habit of like using, um, you know, you don't want to make exceptions for everything. We would much, we would much rather Kenneth Walker have shown us that he could do this in college. Um, but there can be different reasons for, for why that doesn't work. And the reason I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass is dude, like, I mean, you're showing the, the visual, like he just lights, he lights things up across the board. I mean, he'll only be 21.9, 211 pounds, you know, his expected draft capitals moved up after the combine, combine due to his 4.3840 His 1.49 uh, 10 yard split was the best at the combine of the guys that we're really considering here. Um, 42% best yardage season. Um, so dominator, Uh, sorry, not Dominator, Dominator, uh, well, 42%, whatever. I did touchdowns separate, 54%. Um, Career explosive rush rate, 17%. So that's better than Brees Hall. It's better than Isaiah Spiller. Um, James Cook and Pierre Strong and Kennedy Brooks were the only guys uh, in the class that were better than that. And so that's actually above the college average. And then his career average, um, as far as avoided tackles per attempt or missed tackles force, 33%. So like the, the other challenge with Walker, though, is we don't, know we didn't see him really do it when he was a young player like he had to transfer so that creates questions but man like he is so far above and beyond most of the other backs in this class and how well he performed it wasn't like he just got volume because they just wanted to hand it to him he also was very efficient on the volume and when you watch kenneth walker like i don't know how much you've got to watch him ian but to me he's the most and this doesn't, you know, necessarily mean we move him way up our boards. He's the most exciting back to me to watch in the class. Like he he wins, guy,
0: he wins every way possible with the ball in his hands. He, it's electric to watch.
1: Yeah, and like he's the one that can can he can turn nothing into something. Like he's the one most likely to do that. Like I think he's a better running a pure as far as being a pure runner. I think he's better than Brees Hall. Like just when you watch them. Now again, like I put more of my weight into the data and numbers because I'm not a film expert. Like I do try to you know, brush up on my chops on it. I try to learn from people that know what they're doing and I watch it, but Kenneth Walker is just fun. Like, especially man, when you watch him run that inside split zone, you know, where they kind of, they run the duo and they block Mm -hmm. down a little bit and you get that, you know, you got a tight end or somebody scrape into the backside to seal off. Right. Cause the the linemen are kind of all moving the other way, man. He is always a threat to cut that thing back. (laughs) Like it's just fun watching him. Now he gets himself into trouble too. Because a lot of times he will cut back and all of a sudden there's like three defenders there and he'll still make like the first one miss. But, you know, it's all of a sudden he's like, wow, I still have two other guys to beat. But like he does things like Brees Hall can't do that. Brees Hall does not have that in his game. Isaiah Spiller has some similarities to him, but not quite as explosive. You know, once he gets to the second level, like he can really wind through the defenders. That's the other thing I noticed. It's not just making the first guy miss. He can make the first guy miss and then tack on 10 yards, you know, and he can sometimes beat the the angle on the on the third level to the safety in the corner. He's also physical enough, to your point, that he can run through the tackles of the corner. Dude, he had some he had some crazy plays like if you go watch his Rutgers game that, you know, the long run he had in that one. I know most people talk about the one uh, first game of the season against Northwestern. Like that was just a great block play. Like he made a good cut and he was gone like go watch Rutgers, go watch this play this guy has. Um, and it's great block up front. Like it's, it's, an, it's actually a split zone play, but the, the middle ends up opening up. He stays true to the lane, but man, then he runs away from the linebacker, gets around the cornerback, right? Then makes a cut on the safety. And then still has. and this is like a 70 yard run <laughs> and still has the speed to get all the way to the end zone and not get tracked down. That's the thing I didn't see as much from Spiller. Spiller could get to that second level and maybe that's what's showing up for us, right? When you look at his combine data, Once he would get to that second level, not as good as Kenneth Walker as far as just running away from
0: the defense. The transfer thing was a legitimate question for me because I was like, what if... Because he had a good year at Wake Forest, but he was just more so their goal line back and he wasn't getting the same level of opportunity maybe just a coaching practice nothing against Walker and I just wondered like okay if Walker was every bit as good as he was at Michigan State still a Wake Forest like would people still be ranking this Wake Forest running back as potentially the overall RB1 in the class but it's after digging a little bit more Dwayne because as we get new information we change our opinions that I do feel more comfortable with Walker one because of how high the NFL seems to be on him at least in terms of if these mock drafts mean anything about what's going to happen which I do think they are more correlated than just pulling names out of a hat or something like that. It does make sense that Kenneth Walker should be prioritized, arguably and probably only behind Brees Hall. And Dwayne, when I see you, my lovely colleague, pulling out stuff like this, showing that Kenneth Walker on inside zone, outside zone, man, power, pull, lead, counter trap, you picked the run concept. He was better in missed tackles, force, yards after contact, stuff rate, right, and explosive rush percentage almost across the board compared to Brees Hall, man. So, we do have the questions about receiving. With that said, though, yeah. high school. Outside of the receiving,
1: but as far as in the running. But high
0: school, man, high school, we caught 64 passes. I mean, I what what running back at Michigan State is catching the 50 passes a year anyway?
1: Ian, like whenever I typically like, and again, I don't have data to support this. So I want to be careful here, but this is just me kind of floating out of theory. It's something I would have to dig into further. But like when you look at these profiles of the backs that, you know, have really struggled catching passes in the league um like to me it's more of that stiffer straight line power kind of runner like you could just say ronald (laughs) jones yeah (laughs) ronald jones adrian peterson you know there's quite a few of them but it has to do with really you know their flexibility and their hips and all these different things but when i watch walker and the way he moves man i'm like this guy's as flexible and as limber as anyone in this class so i i kind of you know he reminds me not really of LeVeon. He, he reminds me of Le'Veon Bell's in ways. He's more explosive than LeVeon Bell. Probably doesn't have quite the same vision as Bell and quite the same patience that Le'Veon had. But there's some of that to his game. You know, he's very, you know, he can change, he can move on a dime. I don't know if you have any film that you can pull up of Walker that people could see. But like when you watch this guy run, man, he's very fluid. And it just makes me think, and again, I don't have data to back this, but when I look at that and I look at wh- how well he moves in space, you know, with defenders coming at him from all directions. And it just feels like that's a guy that like you could get your arms around, you know, pass catching for him, especially if, if it's just the stuff, the check down kind of stuff, you know, but I, I feel like, man, maybe there's a little bit more that they could even, you know, harvest out of Kenneth Walker just watching the athlete do.
0: Unfortunately, no more college film show showing uh, YouTube had to demonetize one of our episodes because I was showing some James oh, Cook yeah, receiving. Yeah. Goodness. <laughs> Come on. I know we're not the only podcast showing college highlights. I, I, I don't get YouTube sometimes. PFF comp for Kenneth Walker, though, is D'Angelo Williams. Again, I'm not so concerned about the pass game ability receiving-wise. Dwayne, I think he nailed it. Like, uh, is he going to be Austin Eckler? O- almost assuredly not. I think he can catch, you know, like Jonathan Taylor did, though. What, what was Jonathan Taylor year one? Like 35 catches on 36 targets or something? If you put the ball between his numbers within five yards of the line of scrimmage, I'm guessing more times than not, he'll come down with the pass. What concerns me is when I see Mike Renner saying that Walker has to buy in as a pass blocker to see a bell cow roll in the NFL. Coaches at the next level won't let him see the field on passing downs with what he put on tape as a pass blocker in 2021. So that would be like my tiebreaker for these guys is the pass blocking at even an acceptable level. And Walker's case doesn't seem to be, he has a size for it. We're not talking about, you know, 185 pounds scat back that just physically can't hold up. Hopefully he improves that effort when he's now being paid. And just remember, it's like
1: you, it's like you said earlier, most backs, honestly, coming to the league with pass protection challenges, you know, and and look, it it all ties together with backs. Don't get, you know, a lot of passing work in college. Why? Because a lot of times what do they want in college? They want a bigger, they want the guy that they trust in pass protection. They're not going to have them running the route like the NFL, you know, they're also a different league. Like so the way that players get, you know, coached, the way they run the schemes also allows for a player that may not be quite as good, like to get on the field. And we'll talk more about that once we know landing spots. Like, does Walker land in a place where that could potentially be the case? End of the day, I would much rather have just seen it all on tape, but I, I I'm hopeful for Walker, not trying to just talk people into it. Um, but I, I think, you know, look, a lot of guys have pass blocking problems when they come.
0: This next tier is very interesting. Tier three, you got Rashab White, James Cook, Zamir White, Brian Robinson, and Damian Pierce. Now, again, got all this pass blocking knowledge fresh in my brain. All <laughs> these guys, other than Pierce, have some red flags. Rashab White has the effort, not the technique. James Cook was never asked to at Georgia. Zamir White had James Cook at Georgia, so usually he was the one receiving. Either way, Zamir White just wasn't a big time factor on passing downs. Brian Robinson got dinged with it in the PFF Draft Guy. With that said, he does have the weight and he puts some fun reps out there in the Senior Bowl, um, I believe was the all star event I was watching on the old Twitter sphere. Either way, those four have some problems. But, Dwayne, Damian Pierce is someone that you messaged me about probably like two months ago when he first started looking at this stuff and just asking me if I had thoughts about him because he kept popping and everything. Now here I am, you know, a little bit later starting to do (laughs) some of uh, the similar research and I am seeing the same exact thing, my friend. Only four draft-eligible running backs last season had 70-plus PFF grades in rushing, receiving, and pass blocking. Damian Pierce, Tyler Algier, Hassan Haskins, the guy that ripped my freaking heart out, but we'll worry about that later. And Raheem Blackshear. <laughs> He's uh, in tier five. He can just wait. There we go. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Raheem Blackshear for making this list as well. But Dwayne, Damien Pierce, man, it wasn't that he couldn't do anything at Florida. He did everything and he did it all at a pretty damn high level. He just didn't get the volume. But my God, the D weighs 218 pounds. We don't have any seemingly questions about effort and stuff. Damian Pierce, man, is someone where I think if he and a lot of these guys will change if they land the right spot. So I don't want to conclude every single prospect evaluation with that, but I think <laughs> you have him in this tier for a reason. And I would argue, man, that he can do everything that Spiller and Walker and arguably even Brees Hall can do. It's just a matter of getting that chance to do so.
1: Yeah, and so this tier is—it's we're expecting probably third round to very early fourth round draft capital. So we know there's going to be draft capital but we're dealing with limited samples on all these players for different reasons right And so Pierce, you know, shared the backfield with, you know, some other guys that happen to be in the NFL now, not like the Michael P. Ryan is like just tearing the league up, but he is an NFL back. I believe he was a fourth round pick, if I remember correctly, somewhere in that range. I feel like there's someone else that I'm missing in. He also played, you know, with in college and shared the backfield. But, you know, to your point, like he checks a lot of the other boxes, like of this tier three, like he's the youngest back, 22.5 years old. He hits the weight um, 218. I'm um, expected draft pick right now 126 so he could slide a little further than some of these other guys but we'll see. I kept him he, he's close he was within range I wanted to keep him you know in this tier. Um, the thing that holds him back, you know, in, you know, the model really is just, you know, career yards per game. Same thing for James Cook, Zamir White, Brian Robinson. But again, these are all backs, in that shared backfields, you know, with other players like James Cook and Zamir White together. Brian Robinson was freaking behind Najee Harris, you know, for two years. I mean, what are you going to do? Najee Harris is there. And I know Robinson is a fifth year senior, 23.5 years old, um, but again, 225 pounds probably going to go in the first three rounds. And we think that he can really do all of it. So again, all of these guys just have the question of we're, we're not 100% certain, like the sample size is small, but the NFL, at least as far as we know right now, based on the information we have, they like these players. They're likely to go ahead of this next group we're going to talk about that actually produced more in college, but the NFL is just not as warm on them. Um, so to your point, we won't sit here and caveat everything with draft capital, but it, it is a big driver to the way these tiers work because we just know that, you know, the more that the teams invest in them again, like the more chances they're going to get. Rashad White's a little different, um, and his is kind of more similar to Kenneth Walker right? It's more about it being like, we really got this one really good season after a Juco transfer, 23.7 years old. So he's going to be older, um, but hits all hits all the other things that we really want. The man, career yards per game. And again, that can be a little skewed too, whenever you didn't play as much early on, right? You know, for a guy like Brees Hall that played his whole career, it's more impressive to see his 129 versus Rashad White. That 134 is really from, you know, this last season. Um, but again, like, in his last season, he did really well. Like, it's a yeah. small sample, but he checks all these other boxes. Like, you got it up. Like, look at, you know, Rashad White. If you were just looking at this chart, Ian, like, you could argue with me that, dude, like, he's green like all the other guys. Like, why is he not tier two? Yeah. Like And I think you have a valid argument. He came out just a notch below, like, in the model enough that I just wanted to go ahead and make him in the next tier down because of the the big part that knocked him the most, honestly, was his age, uh, being 23.7 years old. And, and Spiller and Walker just being much younger prospects. Um, so it, you know, they move up the board, but you can make an argument that if you're just looking at the other stuff, you know, the best touchdown season, the explosive rush rate, um, avoided tackles per attempt, all that kind of stuff, Rashad White checks a lot of boxes. And so he's a player that we could warm, he could easily jump into that next year. Like if he is drafted, if for some reason he gets drafted in the top, you know, three rounds, you know, two rounds, like, like this says, like it's it'll a lot of, a lot of things will come down to who goes first and how far apart they are
0: in the draft. I'll be really interested to see where these Georgia running backs as well as Brian Robinson go. Cause man, if we literally just, if you were an NFL GM these 10 years ago, just said, all right, I'm going to take running backs from Georgia and Alabama, wherever they're valued. You, you'd be doing pretty good for yourself. I mean, we can talk about spending too early a draft capital or whatever, but we've seen these universities produce some pretty damn good NFL running backs. And I almost wonder, Dwayne, if Brian Robinson was getting unfairly dinged for the age and just being a bigger back. Cause you know, I just see him always kind of shoved into the, a two down grinder kind of uh, type of running back, but you look at last year, man. He caught 35 of 38 targets. Like I don't know what more we want from the guy. Maybe there are pass protections concern concerns there. Like Renner and his write up was basically almost surprised by it, given that he is a six foot two, two hundred twenty pound, two hundred twenty five pound back. But you do see him in some of these all-star games showing up, showing more effort to the skill. Like, would it really shock us if the NFL views the workhorse Alabama running back a little bit higher than draft Twitter who's trying to hype up, you know, these Arizona State and Texas A&M guys? It's just something to think about, man, because I think Robinson might have a little bit more of a three-down ability than we're giving him credit for.
1: Yeah, I think of this tier, Rashad White and Brian Robinson would be the two that I would say have the best shot at three down ability. And I think what you have to look for first, right, is are they good in the receiving game? <laughs> because that's that's the hardest time for the the backs to get on the field in the NFL. Like that's a lot of these guys get stuck, right? They can't get over that hurdle and then they can't become elite fantasy assets because of that. Whereas Robinson and White. I think of this tier, they would be the most likely. Like if you had to say on day one, would they be ready to handle a three-down roll? I think it would be those two guys. Um, James Cook, I think, is, is a very interesting one. Um, his really comes more back to he gets knocked because he's only 199 pounds. He had to show the backfield was a mere White. But, man, and you, you, know, you, you got us kicked off of YouTube by showing how good of a receiver he is out of the backfield. So I'll let you talk about that. But, man, 19% career explosive rush rate. So, again, those are carries of 10-plus yards or more. Um, came out and backed that up with a 4.4240, you know, did nice in the broad jump at a 124 as well. So not as high on the avoided tackles per attempt, but I don't care. I like it when players can do both of those things, but like have one trait, right? Yeah. If you have one trait that you can really rely on and that's your game. And I think that James Cooks he's shown that. So when you think about, you know, how good he can be in the passing game and he's an explosive playmaker, to me, you're checking two really important boxes. The only box that Cook you know, doesn't check for me Um, outside of the production, which we've already talked about. He had to share a backfield. So it's not, you can't, it's not necessarily apples to apples versus some of these other guys. Um, But the biggest knock is really, you know, the 199 playing weight. But dude, we saw a guy named Jamal Charles, like dominate the NFL (laughs) at that weight. Again, we don't want to get into a habit of making exceptions, but these things do happen. And with, for me, with a guy like Cookie, and what if he, Dude, he can land in a situation where he could get used more like a, a Camara or even CMC, you know, his first year where he wasn't really an every down back. He could put on a little bit of weight, you know, maybe by year two. If he turned into a back that was seeing fifty percent of the snaps but being used on all the passing downs and he provide explosive plays, like he's he's gonna have a ceiling. He's gonna have a nice ceiling in fantasy. You know, worst case, I think you're looking at a guy that you know, comes in and maybe he's just the passing down back. And that's what he ends up being more like a Naheem Hines. And I, I don't know, Naheem Hines. I'm trying to think like JD McKissick, not quite like a JD McKissick, but like on that level, somebody that can come in and play on the passing downs. But I think he has the upside to give a
0: little bit more Get James Cook to the Cardinals and ask questions later as I'm tweeting during the show. That'd be perfect. <laughs> Let James Conner do his hey dude, stuff. What are, you, what, do you, what are you doing to James Connor, man? Come on. We've been, we've been pumping James Conner. <laughs> we, we just want James Connor to have 500 touches uh, next year and then, we never, then never be able to walk for the rest of his life. Okay. Well, we don't want that second part. But... Correct. <laughs> just, just being a jerk here. Isaiah Spiller, I mentioned before how he – did, i thought he had Devonte booker comp no it was actually tyler algier the byu running back that was comp to Devonte booker i then was talking about how algier and spiller were similar in that they have the ability to work across three downs so my bad on mixing that up a little bit either way man tyler algier he checks every single box without necessarily having an elite skill and he doesn't have that big play explosive ability you know relatively modest 17 percent explosive uh, rushing percentage not far from the worst on this list but i think when you look at that 4640, and you're just not exactly seeing the same level of explosiveness. Wouldn't be shocked if he falls into more, like, if we had to bet on which running backs are probably going to be backups, you know, my money would be on him. And I think that kind of is the story of this tier. We have Tyler Beatty, who's going to have some problems getting the early down work at 197 pounds. Jerome Ford, Pierre Strong, 23 and 25 years old, respectively. Even Kyron Williams, just 194 in terms of weight. So, out of this group, Dwayne, I think Kyron uh, intrigues me the most because of what he was able to do at notre dame as a receiver mike renner called him i believe the most willing pass blocker in the entire class i am correct on that gotta love that and i think just basically man if we were, we're look about what james cook can do and what he can't do Connor williams seems like a similar version of that player not as good doesn't have the nfl pedigree but someone where they can catch the passes and that's what we want first and foremost and it's not like they can't run the ball. We know guys like J.D. McKissick, Darren Sproles back in the day. These guys were capable of running the football just a matter of getting those carries. If we can check off those fantasy-friendly targets, which for guys like DeAndre Swift is usually more than enough anyway, man, like maybe we should be gambling more so on guys like Kyron and James Cook over the plotters that we don't even know if they can catch.
1: Yeah, so this tier actually provides you with a group of players that have a ton of upside should they surprise in draft capital. Why? Because they have a good production profile already. So if you look at the players at the top, like Reese Hall, you know, it's a great production profile. We know he's going to have draft capital. Did what he needed to do on his uh, on his you know athletic testing. Then you got the next group. It's high draft capital with a good, but not great production profile. Maybe have some questions, for example, with Isaiah Spiller around, you know, the way he tested. Then the next group, you know, tier three, we just talked about, you know, we know there's going to be draft capital based on, at least we think there is, based on where the what the mocks are saying right now. But we don't have a big sample. This next group, we've actually these these players have all proven it in one way or another. Like if you you know you're looking at the if you're on YouTube and you're looking at it right now, like again, like a lot of these players, when you look at how green they are, like they're borderline deserving to be in tier two. The big difference is the fact that we are not expecting their draft capital to be as good. So for some reason, all of a sudden the team does fall in love with Tyler Algier, uh, Tyler Beatty. Uh, you know he's got the question with the weight, but Jerome Ford. Uh, Pierre Strong if all of a sudden Pierre Strong went you know at the end of the second round despite his age you know which we don't think he will but if he got if he was a surprise in draft capital like look he checks a lot of the other boxes wouldn't quite be on the level as you know Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker but you could argue you know he's pretty close to where Isaiah Spiller is you know just would be older so there, there could be one of these players from this group that could really surprise Kyron Williams you know fits in there as well you know, he's very similar to Isaiah Spiller it's just he came out and he didn't test well. You know, he, he's small and he's slow. and So, I mean, the NFL, I really don't think his draft capital is probably going to recovery, gonna, going to recover. But if it did, like he does have enough on his production profile, you know, to really take a step forward. And I do think that Kyron's one of those guys that could come in, Ian, and right out, right out of the gate, just carve out a role as a receiver, yep. you know, on a team carve out a role as a passing down back, like you mentioned, you know, with James Cook doesn't, doesn't have the same explosive upside, you know, James Cook, 19% uh, career explosive Ooh. rush rate, only 13% for Kyron Williams. And so if you look at, you know, just the the guys that we have here um, that are available available to be drafted, the average is 16%. The college average over the last three years is like right at 15 and a half percent career explosive rush rate, um, or actually it might be like, it's 14 and a half percent. Sorry. So he's still even below that. 13 percent. So Kyron, you know, the 40 time, the issues that he had, even even once he came back, you know, with uh, his pro day, um, wasn't really able to improve his stock, but could really be a good receiver out of the backfield. But again, somebody from this group, like if they get taken in round round three would be my guess, Ian would be like a surprise for one of these players. Um, But if if Algier went in round three, like I would be excited about that. 224 pounds, 22.4 years old, has a good production profile. You know, 40 time isn't great. But again, we've talked about the 40 time. Like it's really more about a threshold. It's like you can't let it just be the eliminator. You know, it's not like going to completely eliminate Tyler Algier. If a team's willing to invest the pick, his product his production profile is good enough that I would still be st- still be willing to use a dynasty pick. And I'm tongue tied today for like not <laughs> having to talk for like two days. We're excited, join. Um, We're excited. I would yeah. be,
0: I would be curious to see because with all these guys having 40 times, maybe it's only at the combine. But do you have 10 yard marks for all of them? Because I be yeah more- one one point
1: five nine for Algier, one five four for Beatty. Drone Ford, one Pierre Strong Jr. is a one so, okay, he, so he ran a 4-3-7 and had the 10-yard split of the one five zero. But th- that's so like, not
0: helping Algier's problems. No.
1: Okay, no. that's
0: fair. <laughs> I was just no. wondering. because your I, guy ended
1: up here before, Damian Pierce, it helped him. He ran a 4 9 40-yard dash, almost the same as Tyler Algier, but a 1-5-1. 10 there yard split, which was the second best in the
0: class. Wasn't that like, kind of. one, that was one of the conversations about Traylon Burks, right? Like, yeah, the 40 itself wasn't great. Yes. I, I know wide receiver is a little different than running back, but I think that burst, especially at running back is more indicative of future performance. Yeah. Once you
1: adjust for, you know, the size, you know, you hear everybody talk about speed score, right? Which is just, is you, you're taking your 40 yard dash, you're combining it with your weight. Um, There's a formula used to do that, but 10-yard split, you can think about it similarly. So guys that really stick out to me based on their 10-yard split and their weight, Damian Pierce at 218 with a 151, Zamir White at 214 with a 151, and then Kenneth Walker at 211 with a 149, Brees Hall at a 154 at 217 pounds, uh, and then the last one is Pierre Strong at 207 pounds at a 150. Those guys all stick out to me. That is hot.
0: Before we get on Dwayne's fifth and sixth tiers, wanted want to let you all know that right now you can get 50% off a PFF Elite annual subscription if you use code DRAFT50. With 365 Days of Elite, you can get all of PFF's locked article content. Our PFF NFL Draft Guide just got released with a new spring edition. All sorts of guys being covered. 250-plus three-page scouting profiles. Our completely unlocked mock draft simulator. Data and greatest from the entire 2021 and upcoming 2022 seasons. That is promo code DRAFT50 for, again... 50% 50% off a PFF Elite annual subscription. Why not? If you feel like you're going to use our help at any point in the year, might as well get 50% off on it now. Again, that's promo code DRAFT50 for 50% off a PFF Elite annual subscription. Also, be sure to check out Hutch, a four-part, four-part podcast series. with number one overall NFL draft prospect Aiden Hutchinson on all podcast platforms. Dwayne, you know, I try not to get in the weeds on Twitter that often. I try to tweet and then interact with people that – Usually are responding to my tweets because I, like, I don't care if you follow me or whatever. But if you want to talk ball, I'm always here to talk ball. The amount of shit that for the 20th time we'll mention in this podcast, Mike Renner was getting for making an objective statement about Hutchinson being a better athlete than the Bosa brothers. It's absolutely crazy to me. Better player, better prospect. No. I would not agree with that, and I would say slander the man. But an athlete, we have the NFL combine to determine how good of athletes they are. We have our rack athleticism testing scores to help with this. If you look at every single 40-yard dash, 10-yard split, 20-yard shuttle, three-cone, vertical, broad jump, Hutchinson, compared to the Bosa brothers, is first in about five of those categories and second in the other two. Same size. Aiden Hutchinson is objectively a better athlete than Nick and Joey Bosa, an athlete Not a player, not a prospect open your eyes and reads and read everyone Mike had like George freaking Kittle quote tweeting this calling him like an idiot and it's just amazing to me Dwayne like that must be like that's the equivalent of what we go through when we release our fantasy ranks and people (laughs) misinterpret them as like real life ranks when there's fantasy like in large letters on the freaking graphics so I don't know man it's 2022 like just read the damn thing before you go try to dunk on these people because now you're just making yourself look dumb so Aiden Hutchinson check out that four part series find out all about that and so much more a uh, great work great work from dave safaro austin gale and the entire pff gang also everyone i want to point out that the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is manscape the leaders and below the waist grooming with manscape performance package 4.0 your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4 340. support us and head to manscape.com and use the exclusive exclusive code pff at checkout for 20 off and free shipping again that's 20 off with Free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. Now, Dwayne, looking at your handy-dandy chart here, it looks like this was the point where you said, okay, those are our running backs. (laughs) We have 13 running backs with an expected draft pick of 161 or lower, or, or higher, I should say. Between one and one sixty one, the rest of these guys are either not projected to be drafted necessarily, or they're falling down in the ranks. Are these next? Let's see. Nine running backs, guys that checked a lot of boxes for you, but just right now, probably not expecting them to go high enough in the draft to be a relevant factor.
1: Yeah, productive players, but the very questionable okay. you know draft capital. You know, you could argue Pierre Strong and Kyron Williams could fall into They could fall into this group if they slip enough in the draft, um, but. it's it's, it's kind of close with some of these guys, you know, where we're drawing the line. But, you know, all of these guys, what they have in common, you know, if you look at their best yardage season, um, they're all green. Look at that. It's pretty green right down the middle. And for those that are listening, they're like, dude, I can't see green. You know, so best yardage um, season, so percentage of their team's yardage. So Kevin Harris, 39%. Kennedy Brooks, 34%. Sincere McCormick, 38%. Tyler Goodson, 34%. Hassan Haskins, 42%. So, I mean, those are all better than the last two tiers. Almost all of them are better than the last two tiers we've talked about. We We talked
0: about 13 running backs at first, and only four of them have better best yards percentages than these five guys. They were balling out with their opportunities.
1: Yeah, and, but their weaknesses showed up in two ways. One, you know, in the data, the career explosive rush rates are really, they're worse. They're worse than what we see from the guys ahead. They're also worse in career tackles avoided per attempt than the guys above. So these are guys that the NFL probably has rightfully said, look, they were production in college, their team gave them the ball, but we're not sure their skills translate to the NFL. The exception to the description we just gave is really Kennedy Brooks. What kept him down here is 23.9 years old, uh, 23.9 years old when the season starts um, for the NFL next season. Um, I didn't even know this. Someone told me on Twitter, like, and he has like 7.3 inch hands. I don't know how that's possible. Ian, <laughs> Seven, you know three? I mean?
0: that, that is
1: really, really oh, no. Like, yeah. So I, I don't know that he'll ever be a receiving prospect, but with Kennedy Brooks, um, career explosive rush rate. That's the best in the class. So again, that's carries of 10 yards or more. Career avoided tackles per attempt, 31%. That is third best in the class. So he actually has a couple of traits, you know, as a rusher, that could stick out to a team and be enough to really get him drafted. Um, we'll have to see where these guys land. So they all have holes in their game, one way or another, but mostly it's guys that were productive at college, but the underlying skill set, the athletic testing doesn't really align with the production that they have and the expected draft capital is also not aligning. Now, again, we can be wrong on these things. Sometimes the NFL thinks very differently than the way, uh, you know, some of the, the mocks go to your point. I I was kind of surprised historically, like they're much more accurate than what I would have ever thought because I hadn't really studied them that much until this year. Um, But some of these players, you know, could end up surprising us and a team does like them. And so if that happens, you know, it's a guy that we'll have to talk about again, you know, when the time comes, I know Hassan Haskins was the guy, you know, we uh, could talk about real no. quick just because I know you want to, Ian. Um Real man, quick, real like... quick before we get to that, uh, you know, all yeah. all runs on the
0: side. Yeah, this is wild. Kennedy Brooks, seven and five eighths inch hands. I thought, okay. Oh, maybe, seven, five eighths. Eight. Okay, yeah. But like <laughs> my, my first thought was maybe like, you know, the nine inch hand thing is like just something we'd look at quarterbacks for and other players don't have these huge hands. No, every other running back that got measured had at least eight and a half inch hands the fact that Candy Brooks is that much lower is absolutely madness. It's weird. Real quick, the, the <laughs> only guy before we get to Haskins that I would mention is intriguing, Dwayne, is Tyrion Davis Price, Eric Frotons. He's calling him the potential next Elijah Mitchell just based on someone that could not even be drafted but actually come in and get the job done. Had a real nice stretch at the end of his LSU career. And PFF single highest graded pass blocker from last season, Tyrion davis And If you got a hyphen in your name, there's a good chance you're going to be good at football. That just seems to be the way. I the shared my
1: screen with you, Ian, if you want. like, So bonus for people listening to the podcast because mm-hmm. this isn't even posted on the site. Um, but they can see. Yeah, um, so inside. once you... I'm sharing, but basically, basically, a lot of these other guys, and we can just hit on him, any of them that you want. But Tyrion Davis Price, I do have all of his data, so he's second from the bottom. Let me blow it up a little bit for people here. And so, and let me freeze this. Boom. So once we have that done, now scroll down here. So I know you, you mentioned him, but yeah, 21.9 years old. He's LSU guy. Weight 211. Uh, career yards per game lower, but again, another guy that had to share with uh, you know some other really good players that were in the backfield. Um, decent on his best yardage, um, didn't really pop in any of these others, though. The career explosive rush rate, only 12%, so below the NCAA average, uh, 17% avoided tackles per attempt, also below. But d- he did solid in the 40, 4.48, and his uh, 10-yard split, 1.54. Um, but one thing you know that I have heard several, several people talk about with him, um, and that may be the same thing that you're alluding to here, is he could be a potential every-down option, that he's a guy that a lot of people do believe could be on the field with all the time.
0: All right, now let's talk about the guy. That last November, shortly after Thanksgiving, Russell, I not one, <laughs> not two, not three, not even four, but five freaking touchdowns against my Ohio State Buckeyes. I- I'll be honest, Wayne. I do not even know who this dude was uh, when we you, when you're when you live in Columbus and you just stomp that school up north. You know, for the better part of the last two decades, you just stop start disrespecting them year in a year out at some point. But him and that Michigan O line obviously had their day. Twenty total touchdowns on the year, just eight. 18 catches, but you know, again, Michigan state, Wisconsin, Michigan, show me the running back that was catching a bunch of passes in these offenses. What are your overall thoughts on Haskins Dwayne? And if he can actually maybe rise up into tier four or so with a right landing spot.
1: Yeah, I think, I think tier four is where he would go. It'd be hard for me to push him higher. I I just don't think he'll get enough draft capital, but I mean, the reason I wanted to talk about him, he is one of the players that the expected draft capital is climbing. Um, so we've got a few different guys here that, that have really been rising and Haskins is one of them, but you know, you can see what the NFL likes 228 pounds. He handled 42%, you know, uh, Michigan's yards in his best season, 50% best touchdown, um, you know, uh, share as well. So like he's, he's been a productive player and a big system, big player, like it just smells like the NFL. And so that's why he's probably creeping up, you know, and expected draft position, um, because all these people that are doing a lot of these mat- mocks, you know, they're talking to people in the league. And so I'm sure Hassan Haskins is a name that continues to come up. I did study him last night. He was a player that I kind of, I threw on the tape and I also uh, compared to Kenneth Walker as well as Brees Hall. I did it with a few other guys. Um, just looking at inside zone, outside zone, you know, power rushing. He didn't really pop out to me in any way because his when these players start rising like this, it makes me go back and look at them again. So I just kind of start digging into everything. You know, we don't have any of his, um, we don't have a 40-yard dash on him. We don't have any of, uh, you know, his athletic, you know, testing um, because he did not, you know, participate in any of those drills. So there are still questions. But I think what the NFL sees is just the big player, the big production for a big school. So we'll see where he goes. Um, but there, there wasn't anything, man, that just jumped out to me, um, at all enough to make me think, well, wow, maybe I should move him closer to the top of this tier, or maybe should I be thinking about him in the tier four? It just wasn't the case. He didn't check enough boxes.
0: Four final running backs make up your tier six, Max Borgie, Zonovan, Knight, Jerry and Ely and Keontae Ingram. Any final thoughts on these guys Dwayne?
1: Yeah. So this final tier, you know, I'll just kind of it, it's it's really players that they have these underlying traits that are popping, um, but they don't have expected draft capital and they also don't have really a good production profile. You know, so if you're looking at it on the stream we're sharing now, you know, I went from green and yellow to to red and green because of some feedback I got you know on um, the ability to you know for some folks to be able to see the color scale I was using so trying to always improve Ian and I think you've talked with me about that before too but the the career explosive rush rate for all these guys so for for Max Borgi 19% uh, Zonovan Knight, 17%. Jerrion Ely, 18%. Keontae Ingram, 17%. I will say on Ingram, it all came on wide zone. If you ask him to do anything else, like it really drops off in the data. And when you watch him, um, you know, he doesn't really have like that change of direction. Um, kind of a, you know, he's a player that's kind of like if I were to give a comp, like kind of like the best part of his games kind of remind me of Ryan uh, Matthews back in the day. Like nice. he had some, know, like he kind of wind through some players, but like just not really able to like stick his foot in the ground, you know, just make that hard cut like what you see with like a Kenneth Walker and some of these other guys. Uh, at least in the film, you know that I watched and in the data that I looked at. Um, but again, the career avoided tackles per attempt also good for these guys, especially Zonovan Knight, thirty percent, Jerry and Ely, thirty two percent. Now Jerry and Ely only one hundred eighty nine pounds. He's also another guy you know, shared the backfield with Tyler Beatty. So he's a guy that, you know, can really work in the passing game as well. So he could end up being someone like a Kyron Williams, um, you know, some of the other guys that we talked to, uh, about before, you know, like Cook. So we'll see what happens with Ely. But they, again, these are just players that like the under, they have some underlying things as far as the career explosive rush rate and the tackles avoided that kind of popped, but nothing as far as expected draft capital so far. And production profile is really just mad
0: trying to see if there's anyone else you want to really talk about, but I think that is going to, I got the list
1: up here for you. If there was anyone, the the other guy that popped out to me a little bit, like when I was studying the, you know, trying to look at guys that could run in all schemes, because I think that's something maybe I should do like a quick piece on before the draft, like maybe the the 10 backs that have demonstrated their ability to really, it doesn't matter if you're going to run a gap or a power scheme, you want to run more inside zone, which inside zone and outside zone are the two biggest, um, they're the two biggest rushing plays in the NFL. Now there's different variants, right, of that. Um but if you look at those two, they make up like tw- I think outside zone is 28% and I want to say inside zone is like 26% over the last 3 seasons. So they're the they're the they're the biggest. And then you get into really your gap and power plays, you start getting into smaller smaller samples like like counter, pulling, you know, guards, things like that. Um so I just grouped all of them together. Um, But whenever I was looking at Zaquandre White, um, you know, he was pretty decent, you know, across um, all of those. Uh, He wasn't somebody that looked like he had a lot of holes. He also did have the 32% career avoided tackles per attempt, but didn't test well at the combine, um, doesn't really have a super, you know, productive profile. So not somebody like you're just going to, you know, care a lot about. But some of these other guys that we may break down after the draft Um, would be players that maybe we saw in college, they were really good, like in this specific type of scheme. And we know they land somewhere that runs that exact scheme. Um, So like that would have been a great example of last year with uh, Elijah Mitchell, right? When he landed with the 49ers, Um, it could have been something we probably, you know, should have done a better job with.
0: Well, Dwayne, this will prepare us not, this, that, that much more for preseason and hopefully maybe future USFL and XFL seasons when the guys that don't cut it in the NFL are forced to go play <laughs> elsewhere. just going to wrap up the majority of this PFF Fancy Football Podcast. Just sticking with the running backs today, but Dwayne has some more wide receiver goodness that we'll touch on probably Friday. Worst case, next Tuesday. Draft right around the corner, though. Cannot wait for that, obviously. So uh, just updated kind of podcast schedule because I know I'm throwing some of the USFL stuff in there. That will not take the place of any actual, you know, fantasy NFL-related podcast. I'm sure Dwayne and I's bosses would not be uh, too pleased with that, uh, you know, content idea, but it's just something extra, so on monday or tuesday the day after whenever the usfl games are over i will do a solo pod quickly reviewing what happened on tuesday dwayne and i will be back like we always have been throughout this offseason, season doing our usual multi-segment episode wednesday we're going to do best ball streams continuing at 5 p.m Missed last week but those will be consistent here moving forward thursday it will be dwayne and i doing a usl specific preview show looking ahead to next week really focusing on dfs dwayne's utilization report things of that nature nature and then on Friday we want to start doing a listener mailbag themed episode probably talking about some news and happenings whatever else is on uh, you know our chest uh, that day but definitely want to get you guys input and talk about whatever you want us to talk about good job uh, smacking your desk there Dwayne right as I'm trying to get this off my chest but keep an eye out on Twitter chapsticky
1: and chapstick (laughs) damn
0: chapstick all (laughs) right uh, I will be sending a tweet out probably Thursday and I'll try to remind you guys again but if there are questions you guys Want just respond to my tweet. I'll tag Dwayne in it and he'll retweet it. Maybe even get the PFF fancy account to retweet it, and we'll try to get to all those top questions. I want to tentatively not put a cap on what they want to ask. Uh, you know, Dwayne, if, if we get 100 likes on something gross, maybe we should uh, go into that and see what it is. So, ask away. Ask about whatever you want. We want to make the Friday episode, uh, you know, as personable as possible for all you guys. So, uh, anything you want to add to that, Dwayne? Slash, get off your chest before we get out of here.
1: No, man, I feel like, you know, I should be like throwing up like 250 pound bench press like off my chest because you're always asking me what I want to get off my chest. Like you make me feel like I need need to go work out in. No, man, I think we look, I'm looking forward to getting into the receiver stuff, you know, as well. Uh, Hopefully I won't be as tongue tied like when we come back together on Friday. I don't know what my deal was today. Um, But yeah, and then the USFL stuff like I'm looking forward to that on Thursday. To your point, yeah, we won't take we won't take we would never take away any of the NFL goodness because we just love to talk about it all anyway.
0: That's what I'm saying, man. Like I, I just, it's something extra on our on our play with the USFL. So yeah, if, if you if you other content creators out there just want to go and make another mock draft, watch the NBA playoffs, go ahead. I'll embrace a little more football. Why the hell not? For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fans Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.